on today's episode. We get in front of our desks and stuff like that. We don't think about these things. What is it that kind of holds so many people back from doing it? We all have egos and some egos are, are big egos. Some egos are small egos. They come in all different flavors, but everyone has one and that's okay. Getting to know your ego is a really important step to starting, eradicate, starting to eradicate parts of your ego that hold you back. And so a lot of people sign up for Brawl for a Cause for the right reasons. Hey, I want to do some good in the world. I know that by taking some punches and going through some short-term pain, there will be long-term gain, not just for this cause that I'm championing, but also for myself. I'm willing to go through adversity and through these challenges, these trials, in order to become a better person and to make the world a little better in the process. Welcome to the Modern Author Podcast. Your host, Eric Custer. I got this note in my inbox saying I am training for the World Championships of Chess Boxing and my jaw about hit the floor. I texted Matt right away saying, what are you talking about? Lo and behold, my buddy, a guy I met, uh, Matt Thomas, <laughs> is today's world champion chess boxer. It sounds crazy, it sounds like a gag, it could be something that could come on Sci-Fi Network, but it is actually an amazing sport and something growing quickly, chess boxing. Putting your physical prowess and that side of your body in with your mind uh, to win a match, uh, you'll learn some really interesting things about Matt and about his journey to become the world champion chess boxer. Matt has become one of today's biggest influencers in the space of fitness, in the space of wellness, in the space of really like physical and mental uh, best being the best self. But I think what's so interesting about it is Matt's real beginning started with a concept he came up with called Brawl for a Cause. Brawl for a Cause is a nonprofit that raises money for charities by helping two individuals engage in a charity boxing match. People who've never stepped in a ring before will train, will tell their story, will raise millions of dollars to help their organization and in it brawl for a cause. If you've ever thought about how you can elevate your story, what you'll learn from Matt is we elevate our story by elevating others. And by helping those people do it, we help give back. It's a powerful conversation, something I really enjoyed. Uh, I learned a lot about Matt, and I think as he shared a lot about his own journeys, the vulnerability he has, it was powerful. And Matt is someone that I hope all of you enjoy meeting. Matt Thomas, uh, the world champion chess boxer and uh, Brawl for a Cause founder, and really just a human who I think you'll enjoy listening to. Matt Thomas, everyone. There's this new era of celebrity boxing is what they called it. And I saw that and they were like this new era. And I realized that you were so far ahead of the curve here when you started Brawl for a Cause that there was this sort of sense of the sort of normal people getting in the boxer side of boxing game and to be able to see this world here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got the inspiration to start Brothel Cause, which has raised millions of dollars, I think now, for causes through getting people who are not boxers into a room, teaching them how to fight and to learn how to box and then raise money for their cause. We take first-time fighters through a 90-day program. So they learn how to defend themselves, how to throw a punch. And the reason that they're willing to do it is they sign up to fight for a charity that they personally believe in. So something that's affected them, affected a community that they're a part of. As they go through this journey, which I'll call a hero's journey, and we can definitely dig more into that because we have a lot of writers in here and, and we get a little <laughs> Joseph Campbell stuff. Yeah, I love, I love it. But we've built a brawler's journey for Brawl for a Cause based off of Joseph Campbell's work, A Hero's Journey, or A Hero with a Thousand Faces. We teach it in this process here. So you, we teach Amazing. exactly to writers. <laughs> so then if you, have you already covered it? Yeah. So we actually, there's one layer deeper of it now. This is a guy named Christopher Booker. 
And okay. Christopher Booker has taken the hero's journey and studied like over 10,000 different stories from movies and books and realized there's what's called seven plots. So building on top of this circle where a hero goes through these sorts of stages, they've broken it down. So there's what's called overcoming the monster, there's a voyage and return. And so there's a deeper layer behind it. And it's interesting because you know, as they're writing stories from people they've interviewed and stuff like that, they figure out these different stories fit with different things, but they all come down to this. There is a hero and they go through some kind of a journey to end up at a place where there's resolution. So Brawl for Cause is a real life expression of that hero's journey. Amazing. So each one of our everyday people that have never fought before have a death and rebirth when they sign up to Brawl. No longer are they a salesperson, CEO, influencer, whatever. Now they're a brawler. Yeah. And with that death and rebirth comes a departure from your regular comfort zone, from your home, whatever. And, and that departure is into the wilderness. So you're not going, you're not coming from the place of cheese dip and happy hour beers anymore. Now embarking into the wilderness of early morning runs and, and meeting up after work to trade shots, get some sparring in. And that's when training begins. And when training begins, you're assigned a mentor. So someone that's already gone through the Brawl for a Cause program recycles back into our program to help the next generation of brawlers navigate their journey. And, and not long after training begins, trials begin. So mm. things like overcoming the monster, it, like the, there's little manifestations of people's ego or cycles of adversity that holds them back again and again that they'll face in this brawler's journey. Mm-hmm. And then there's inherent challenges like getting punched in the face. <laughs> great. And it says a lot about someone to, to get punched in the face and come back the next day, say, okay, I, I know what I did wrong and I can get better instead of, I don't want that to happen to me anymore and shying away from it, choosing courage over comfort. And, and then not even just the physical side, but all these people are fundraising for what they believe yeah. in. Asking people for money is a very difficult thing. So picking mm-hmm. up the phone and putting yourself out there to, to potentially be let down and fail and be rejected for something that you care about. It's a really scary thing, but all of those trials build up this positive momentum, confidence in the hero to, to their face, the dragon moment, their enter the arena. I don't know if you know that uh, daring greatly quote, but yeah, yeah, we quote that at the beginning of, of every brawler's journey. And then right before they go out to fight and, and it couldn't be more true. The face the dragon moment when they enter the arena, they're facing the culmination of all their trials, one against another, all in, in one moment. They aren't actually fighting the person that they're matched up against. They're, what they're really doing yeah. is they're fighting all of the fear that says, hey, you might not be the person that wins or you might make a fool of yourself out here. They're not fighting this other person. That's actually their teammate. They're helping bring out all this really great stuff in that moment, in that fight. Yeah. And, then, and then the final part is passing the boom. They finish their hero's journey. They recycle back into someone else's hero's journey and they pass along the knowledge that they've learned from experience, their wisdom. I love it. We've talked about this before. It feels the experience of doing anything challenging, whether it's a book or whether it's a fight, is something that like really is those things of we, we oftentimes don't do things that terrify us. And so when you talk to these people as they're going through their hero's journey, what is the thing that has maybe like for most people held them back from challenging themselves and having this sort of growth? What do you see in people? Because you see them and this is like raw and this is like human and this is ancient in a lot of these ways. And we get in front of our desks and stuff like that. We don't think about these things. What is it that kind of holds so many people back from doing? We this? all have egos and some egos are, are big egos. Some egos are small egos. They come in all different flavors, but everyone has one and that's okay. Getting to know your ego is a really important step to starting to eradicate, starting to eradicate parts of your ego that hold you back. And so a lot of people sign up for Brawl for a Cause for the right reasons. Hey, I want to do some good in the world. I know that by taking some punches and going through some short-term pain, there will be long-term gain, not just for this cause that I'm championing, 
but also for myself. I'm willing to go through adversity and through these challenges, these trials in order to become a better person and to make the world a little better in the process. For all those people that sign up for what I'll call the right reasons, but my judgment is... (laughs) whatever. There are the people that sign up because they want to be the guy in a tank top with big muscles and their hand raised at the end and with the biggest fundraising total and and to be that much more eligible of a bachelor or that Mm -hmm. much more laudable of a community member or whatever. And that that ego, that that always comes up because that is not as strong as a purpose bigger than oneself. When you're fighting for yourself, eventually you'll quit. You'll reach something that is no longer serving you. And because it isn't serving, you'll push it away. And all it takes is one hard trial to make that person quit. Hmm. Whereas if you're committed to something much bigger than yourself, that includes a lot more people than just you, you hit that hard trial and you find grit that isn't just inside you. You find it from your community, the people that have donated to your cause. You find it in the stories and the experiences that led you to believe in that cause. And you can overcome things you never thought you could because you aren't just doing it for yourself. Right. So everyone faces their ego and brawl for a cause. Mm -hmm. And and it's the number one thing that that holds people back. It's also the number one thing that that propels people forward Hmm. is is understanding that ego, how to use it when it serves Mm -hmm. you and how to let go of parts of it that that, that don't have a place in this type Mm -hmm. of experience. And I got chills when you were talking. That's it's such a powerful to your point about it. And it's interesting too, because in a lot of ways, we've seen this. We'll talk about like pushing away from saying boxing is barbaric and stuff like that. And yet you're bringing people into this sport that I'm sure most of those people have maybe had some of those feelings. How do people reimagine this idea of a fight? Like, how do they think about it? Because again, it's not just in some ways the fight itself, it's all the training for it, and then that particular that con that conflict in that one. How do they shift about how they see boxing and how they see that sort of combat, com, com, combating moment? Yeah, we try to do a lot of reframing. Um, a lot of people, when they go through this brawl for a cause journey, they'll watch videos of professional fighters and mm. think that they're doing the same thing. <laughs> and they aren't. Yeah. <laughs> it, it could not be more different. Right. You, you don't, I'm sorry, but no one on this call, no one except for one person has the kind of natural talent and power that Mike Tyson had. Yeah. So when you're watching all of his highlight videos and you're worried about someone hitting you that hard, or you're trying to figure out how to get your hips to turn like that, you're wasting time. And it's not a waste in that it excites you and it motivates you to go out and run or to learn more. Like that's useful. Yeah. What's a waste is thinking that this is about the fight. This is about knocking someone out. This is about being that kind of physical specimen because it's not. The fight is a vehicle for philanthropy in Brawl for a Cause. All it does is it makes something that's more extreme than a bake sale or car wash or a 5K, and it makes it so you can you can advocate more effectively and on a much bigger magnitude through a Brawl for a Cause journey than you could through another philanthropic outlet. And everyone that signs up for this knows it isn't about knocking someone out. It's not about right. hurting anyone. It's about helping people. Yeah. So your fight is against your teammate. Yeah. And you just need to make it as entertaining as possible and try not to kill each other. Yeah. <laughs> and find that balance between the two. But the people that do it best are the people that work together, that get together and do like a Rocky montage promo video That's to cool. get both of their audiences and communities excited about it. But that go in there and definitely like for six minutes, go at it. But no one's trying to bite someone's ear off. Yeah. It's just not our thing. Now, it's been amazing to watch because, you know, we got to meet several years ago, but this is now like you guys host this or were hosting this before and the Atlanta Falcons, right? Like the Mercedes Benz, like 
how does that feel as someone who's now seeing this movement you've created where it is literally like where they play football on Sunday? What was that moment like for you? That was really powerful. And I'll get personal with that, more personal than just like the brawl for a call story. So the by the numbers, that was our most successful event and our inflection point. So we went from raising a little over $100,000 in seven events, events leading up to that one. To, to raising and donating over $250,000 with that wow, one event. That's crazy. So like 2.5x growth in yeah. one event from seven years to just having one event that completely like rocket shipped us. Evander Holyfield was there and accepted a Lifetime Achievement Award from USA Boxing in the Ring. We had Salento perform live, Watch Me Whip, Watch Me Nay Nay for our top <laughs> fundraisers walkout song. We, we had a bunch of celebrities there and everyone's walking around on the field in a brand new stadium that that was like the crowning achievement of Atlanta coming together to, to build something. And it was incredible for all those reasons. The reason why it was significant for me and my own hero's journey was my parents divorced when I was nine months old and they fought my entire life. So I learned how to fight <laughs> from my parents, especially yeah. my mom. She's a fighter. And, and I've only seen them in the same room four times. Wow. I saw them in the same room when I was 14 and I chose who to live with. 18 when I graduated from high school, 22 when I graduated from college. And the fourth time was that Mercedes-Benz Stadium event. Wow. And I put them at tables next to each other. It's the first mm-hmm. time my dad came to one of my events. And, and I saw them not just interact, but be together with some sort of pride. Mm-hmm. And, and that was my highlight of the night, was seeing my parents get along yeah. and, and seeing something that I created and be able to bring them together. It, it was that, that is what I'll always remember from that big Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Event. That's amazing. That's such a great story in terms of this place, how it had that personal tie into you. And that's amazing. So we've got to then talk about your own hero's journey, because I think you've been celebrating and helping other people and leading this one. And then about a year ago or so, a little maybe more than that now, I remember I, I see a video that comes across my screen of you getting your ass whipped by like a six or seven year old playing chess. So we've got to hear about your hero's journey from this guy who decides he's going to go on his own hero's journey and ends up in Calcutta, India. And, and I don't want to spoil the surprise because I think the, the, the story itself is amazing, but folks know like you won, but still the hero's journey to get there was amazing. So tell us this sort of how you made this decision that you were going to make your own unique challenge here and, and try to do something that no American had ever done in history. Yeah. Couple, a couple things to start out with. One, I oftentimes feel like I'm not in control of my life. I, I feel pulled into opportunities or storylines, much like stories and uh, heroes and stories, where Harry Potter didn't choose to have a scar on his forehead and to lose his parents, but he was pulled into this faded kind of storyline. And the chess boxing story feels similarly. And I'll share a short parable first. It's one that Zig Ziglar used a lot. And then I'll tell the story through the lens of that parable. So it's the parable of a farmer. One day, a farmer and his son go out into the field. They're working the field. And about halfway through the day, they're taking a break. And one of their horses runs away. And they're like, oh, no. Now we have to spend all afternoon looking for this horse. They don't find it. They go in at the end of the day. They're a lot less productive. The farmer goes to the local watering hole at the end of the day. And all of his friends ask him how his day was. He said, day was okay. But a horse ran away. And they say, oh, a bad luck. And the farmer responds, good luck, bad luck. Who knows? Hmm. goes to sleep, wakes up the next day, goes back into the field with his son. Now they're working without a horse. The work is much harder. They're plowing the field themselves. They're sweating. It's, it's not a good time. They get about halfway through the day. And on the horizon, they see their horse coming back. And the horse is coming back with a friend, a mare, a mate. 
So not only are there two horses now, there's potential for offspring. They work through the afternoon with the two horses, come back in at the end of the day. The farmer goes to the local watering hole. All the friends ask, how's your day? He tells them about the two horses. They say, oh, good luck. He says, well, good luck, bad luck, who knows? Next day, they go back up, out into the field. And the son asks the father if he can help break in the new mare, teach it how to ride and plow. And the father says, yes. So the son's breaking in the new mare. It's thrown from the horse, breaks his leg. His father carries his son back to the house. After the son is out of pain and asleep, he goes to the local watering hole. All of his friends ask how the day was. He reports. And they say, oh, what bad luck. He says, good luck, bad luck, who knows? Next day, last day goes out into the field and the general for the army rides onto the farmer's land hmm. and says, we're going to war. And in order to help with the war effort, we need all able-bodied young men to join. Is there anyone, any able-bodied sons that you have that hmm. could help? And he said, no, my son broke his leg yesterday. The hmm. general says, what bad luck? And the farmer responds, good luck, bad luck, who knows? The reason I love this parable is depending on who you are in the story, the definition of good luck and bad luck changes. Depending on where you are in the story, chronologically, the definition of good, good and bad luck changes. So when the horse runs away, if you knew it was going to run away to find a mate, you would see it as good luck, but in the moment, it feels like bad luck. When your son's thrown from the horse, breaks his leg, and you see your son in pain, you see it as bad luck. But if you know that he's avoiding the potential of dying at war, it's good luck. And taking this paradigm and looking at life through this lens is one of the most important things we can do. Because when something feels like short-term, it feels like adversity, it could just be short-term pain for long-term gain. And if we reframe everything that way, then, then we can use anything as a utilitarian point of view. There's the background. <laughs> Maybe a little too much context for the chess oh, boxing great. story. But my very first amateur fight ever, I dislocate my shoulder in the first round. Really? <laughs> 30 seconds in, I, I send my shoulder out of socket with a right cross right down to the top of the guy's head. He comes up into it. At the same time, I lock out my elbow. Boom, it's out of socket. And my shoulders have come out of socket before. I have loose joints. So I start trying to put it back in. And I have eight seconds to put it back in before the ref would call the fight or send me to the doctor. Couldn't get my shoulder back in. So ref sends me over to the doctor. The doctor looks at me, looks at my shoulder, looks back at me, shakes his head. And I, I was like, okay, uh, this is out of my hands. The doctor's going to call this. And when I kind of release and let go, my shoulder slides back in the socket. Oh. <laughs> so I get over to the doctor, my shoulder's relocated. And, and he's, hey, I know what happened. Are you sure you want to continue? I say, yes, continue the fight. I end up winning the fight. And it's one of the most like life-defining moments of my life. I, I claw my way back, win on points, knock them down twice in the third round. Really impactful. But I had irreparable damage to my shoulder hmm. that required surgery just to get back to about 80% hmm. of, of what it used to be. So I, I get the surgery and I have to sleep sitting up in bed wow. for six weeks. The recovery is horrible. I couldn't hit a heavy back for six months. Wow. And being active, movement is my favorite thing to do. It's, hmm. it's my medicine. So I was, in a, I was in really bad shape, but I had grown up playing competitive chess. And I love the sport of boxing. Most of the way that I spent my recovery was playing online chess and watching old fights on. And one day, <laughs> the little YouTube sidebar serves me a video. And it's chess boxing. And I don't even click on it. It just <laughs> auto plays. Really? So that, that feeling of something finding you, that, of being pulled into something that you couldn't have created <laughs> sort right. of, of just couldn't have thought of that. I couldn't have sought it out in any way, but it found me huh. because Google knows everything about me. Apparently. <laughs> it turns and, out, and right? that I would love it. <laughs> so I, I watched this video. I'm like, this has got to be made up. 
And I watched another video. I was like, this might be a real thing. Like, I watch it. Right? <laughs> exactly. That's a real thing. So yeah. each year on ESPN, the Ocho, they have a chess boxing hour. Oh, yeah. So, so anyway, I read every article. I find the founder of chess boxing, Ipe Rumping, and I reach out to him. And he created the sport in 2003. It's biggest in Europe and Asia. And there were no events in America. Hmm. And so I was like, listen, man, like, not only do I want to compete in this, like, I'm a boxing promoter. I have this thing for a cause. Like, I think I could help you come over here at some point. Like, we should definitely talk. And so we talk and he's like, first things first, you got to compete in this. Like, you grew up playing chess, you box, come be a part of this. I was like, absolutely. Like, when's your next event? <laughs> and he said, oh, it's in eight weeks. I was like, I'm not even clear to hit a heavy bag for six months, yeah. but I'll get healthy. I'll come back to you. Year and a half goes by. I'm back to, to fight Jake. Mm -hmm. I reach out to him and he says, the only event left for the rest of the year is the world championship. It's in Calcutta, India, and no American has ever competed in the world championship. We've never had an American at Team USA or an American enter the competition. So if I signed up to fight in it, I'd be the first American ever. And basically, I'd be going from zero to 100. I had never done this before. And now I'm going to fight the best people in the world at it. That doesn't seem like a recipe and for I, success. And you had a video out there. I watched it. Like, so just for everyone of context, it's not like these are real fighters who are also just like the fighting is legitimate <laughs> fighting. Like you talked about like Brawl for a Cause. This is no kidding around like boxing. And you also happen to play chess. So just to be context, you're entering into a real sort of like high level boxing brawl. Thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. So a, a little bit of context. Chess boxing is the board game chess combined with the combat sport boxing. Mm -hmm. You alternate rounds between the two until there's checkmate or knockout. Some of the chess boxers in the world have over 100 amateur fights and a couple dozen pro fights. Right. So these are people that could be on HBO on an undercard with... Mayweather and Tyson and all the big, big names. Yeah, it sounds crazy when you first hear it, but when you watch it, it's really what's interesting about it is like the, and, it just, and I'm getting context for folks who are probably like, what is this thing? When you see it, it's what you're seeing is this sort of balance between this intense fight to then very quickly having to go and intensely think. And that's what's so powerful about it is it's the best of both. And you are doing them both at high levels, but what's why it's so powerful is like the switching right? Because you don't get like a break. You like literally sit down, put on headphones and go, which is crazy to watch. The king of segues over here. So when I started training, I knew I wasn't going to be the best chess player and I knew I wasn't going to be the best fighter. So what I chose to focus on was the transition. So my very first day of training, I went to a, this is probably the video you saw or the story that you heard. Yeah. I went to a kid's summer camp for chess. <laughs> yes. So ages eight through 12. <laughs> and my coach had me sit down in the middle of the room and play every single kid in speed chess. Last time I had played speed chess, I was a teenager. Time is a big factor. You got to move quick. If you run out of time, you lose. Yeah. And that, that equates to chess boxing too. Yeah. So it's important to practice that. If you watch uh, Queen's Gambit, chess boxing yes. or, or speed chess is where Beth, the protagonist, gets handed to her by eventually her love interest because it's a skill that you like have to build, right? You have to get good at that, that act. It's like a different game. It's right. like a different sport. You think of chess traditionally and you're spending hours playing right. a game. And, and you know, 30 minutes about one move or whatever. This is different. It's intuitive. Like a lot of mistakes and how you respond to those mistakes and come back from them is ultimately what defines success. So I start playing these kids. I start with the 12-year-olds and I work my way down to the eight-year-olds. Yeah. I don't win a single game. Yeah. I face the last little kid, little eight-year-old with AD off the wall. He's watching other games while he's crushing me. Yeah, I, I, it was hard to watch. I have to tell you, it was hard to watch because like you, you, it was just, it was hard to watch you. And I, you know, I was like, wow, this is like depressing. How do you not give up in like that moment? 
And for the context, this is the day after my 28th birthday. I announced to all my friends, family, and the people in my nonprofit organization that I'm going to be representing the United States in chess boxing, of which chess is an integral part of that competition. I can't beat an eight-year-old. Yeah. So now, yeah, I had all the things that come up for our brawlers when they go through their brawler's journey. I had all that come up on day one. And you were, for context, you were also using this as a, you were fundraising for the fight and also to donate money because, so you're also putting yourself out there saying, hey, fund me. And I suck at chess. (laughs) I don't think that's going on here. So did you start to have those doubts a little bit of like, maybe this was a bad idea? Absolutely. So I, after that eight-year-old beat me, I went to my car and cried. I, I looked myself in the rearview mirror and watched myself cry. Hmm. And I was like, I want to quit. I'm one day in. I can definitely come up with some, some sort of excuse that makes sense. Like yeah. I'm, and that was me and my ego making that decision. Yeah. And now I was losing sight of the bigger reason why I was doing this, which is I was raising money for Brawl for a Call so that we could take everything we're doing to the next level. I was trying to bring this sport to the United States. So even if I was a sacrificial lamb and got my butt kicked, now more people know about it. Once I went home, slept on it, woke up the next day, looked in the mirror, saw all those brawlers that I had the same conversation with. Like, <laughs> right. You don't actually want to quit. You just want to quit right now. Like you're going to look back at this and regret it if you quit. So recommit. Like use this this as a part of your story. Use this as something that you overcame that builds confidence to your ultimate victory. Not something that, that makes you quit way too early. Mm-hmm. So I kept going back. I kicked it in my butt kicked, by, butt kicked by kids. I'd spent six to eight hours a day on chess. The other two to three hours a day, I was doing hard you know, <coughs> boxing or cardio. And then I made my full-time job preparing for the world championship. And eight weeks later, went over to Calcutta, India. Uh, I won't go into the details of every fight, but I'll, I'll tell you about the finals. I was fighting a 34-year-old boxer. I watched it live too. He was, he, I was nervous for you. I think you put it on Facebook live and it was a nerve wracking experience to watch it because if you haven't seen it before, it's this thing where you, you don't know how to, you, you can't really be inside the fighter's head. And I'm like, I hope he's ready for this next thing. And it was intense to watch. And this man was the coach for the Indian boxing team. Yeah. So he was competing himself, but he was also coaching all the Indian national players boxing with chess being a component. So way more boxing experience than I had. Yeah. And he was a southpaw. So the very first punch that he threw caught me completely blind mm-hmm. and stunned. And he won the first round, mm-hmm. but I had one punch right before the bell at the end of the first round that caught him right above the temple. And I saw his eyes go. I saw him stumble back into the ropes. and I knew I did some damage. So we have one minute in between a boxing round and a chess round to take off your gloves, put on those headphones that you mentioned, sit back down to the board and pick up the game where we left off. I'm doing my breathing exercises. I'm trying to bring my heart rate down, doing, getting refocused back on the board. And he's just in la-la land. Like he doesn't, he staggers up to the board. I'm already there studying it. And the first piece that he picks up and moves is a white rook. And I was playing the white piece. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> this guy doesn't know what color he is. Yeah. Like he, he just moved the wrong color piece. This is my opportunity. I just lost this boxing round. The chess position is equal right now. This is my opportunity. So I just got super aggressive. I kept trying to put pressure on him. I ended up winning the world championship on the chessboard. When yeah. boxing is really my strength, yeah. going from not beating an eight-year-old at the beginning to being able to capitalize, use, use my unique combination of one lucky shot at the end with mm-hmm. transitioning, refocusing on the board, and then recognizing opportunity capitalizing on it. That's what ended up really changing my life. This whole experience was like, I preached a lot of Brawl for Cause ideology. I talked the talk, but I hadn't really walked the walk and fought the fight. I hadn't fundraised for something I believed in. I hadn't faced those trials head on like our brawlers do Mm -hmm. and overcome them. And I got to go through my own brawler's journey through this Mm -hmm. experience and really live it and believe it uh, that much more. 
And, and we'll take this full circle now. If you look at that first fight that I had with the dislocated shoulder, oh, what bad luck. And if you, if you look at having to get that surgery and sit, sleep, sitting, sit, sleep sitting up and not be able to hit a heavy bag for six months, what bad luck. If you look at that first day of training and, and losing to an eight-year-old, what bad luck. But it's all good luck, bad luck. Who yeah. knows? All of it were steps on this greater journey that, that really brought, brought about the best moment of my life to this point and really changed the trajectory and the path of what I'm doing and why. It's, it, it's an amazing story. And I'll make sure that this is something to ask for the videos. I'll send everyone the video so they can watch it because it was, I think, and what was interesting about your experience of doing it is I think you really did live your life out loud. And I think that's something that's really, we talk a lot about that when you're, whenever you're creating something and for you, you were creating this movement and support for it, how you lived out loud. How did you find yourself? Because you got to have these imposter syndrome moments. You're not like a world champion boxer or chess player. And there's this doubt. How did you convince yourself to overcome imposter syndrome, do something new and be able to not only share the good, but also share like the struggles? I think it comes back to ego again, but we'll attack it from a different angle this time. So mindfulness and stoicism. So first stoicism, if you aren't familiar with it, Google Seneca and read some of his letters. Yeah, Ryan um, Holiday has written a bunch of great books on it if you're looking yeah, for Yeah, ego is the enemy, obstacles the way are great ones, more modern approaches to stoicism. But one of the core tenets of stoicism is worst case scenario. So if I'm okay with the worst that this could go, it's still somehow a positive and everything else is icing on the cake. Everything else is just extra and good. So my worst case scenario for this was, okay, I can take the blow to my ego of getting knocked out or checkmated. I can even lose money on this for mm -hmm. training and traveling over to India. There are no sponsors. There are no, fortunately, the Brawl for Calls community rallied together and, and donated to help me go over. But like, I could lose money. I could lose the fight. As long as awareness is generated for the sport and the nonprofit benefits in some way, whether that's storytelling or more people finding out about Brawl for Calls because of this journey, then it's a, and as soon as I, I had that one check mark in my mind, then I could let go of everything that could go wrong. I could just focus on making it go the most that I could. And there's so much wasted energy and worrying about what could go wrong. When you just take yourself to the worst case scenario, think through it, give yourself like permission just for 30 minutes to get in front of a piece of paper and be like, here's everything that could possibly go wrong. I'm not planting seeds. I don't want any of these things to happen, but like, let me just get all my fears down on paper. So I can look at how small they are in my own handwriting on a piece of paper. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the stoicism side. The mindfulness side, I think is a daily practice and, and one of the most important things that anyone can do. And for me, uh, the main tool that I use is my breath, both literally in chess boxing in between rounds, I would incorporate two different types of breath to prime myself for whatever activity was about to come up. So I use Kabbalah Bhati or fire for priming before boxing. And that's like hyperventilating breath. So it's, what you're doing is you're massaging all your organs, you're putting yourself in fight and flight, and you're over oxygenating your bloodstream. So your muscles are fired up, ready to go. Your eyes are dilated, like you're riled up. And then you do the opposite kind of breath. It's called a box breath. So you're controlling your inhales, holds, exhales, holds for four seconds each time. And I would try to get four of those in before I would start playing chess again. And that's telling my body that I'm in control of my breath. I can lower my heart rate and I can calm myself down. And both of those are mindful ways of priming for activity. Right. And then just day to day, when you find your head spinning with everything that could go wrong, or when you find yourself being distracted by thoughts from baggage from your past or trauma from your past or anxiety about the future, you're taking yourself out of the present moment. And it sounds right. super simple and straightforward, but it's the most important thing you can understand and practice in life. Because if you are not fully present, 
You're not investing all of your focus and energy into what can make the most difference for the rest of your life. What I mean by that is if you're only putting 50% of your time and effort into the present moment and 50% is caught with that mistake, caught up in that mistake that you made last week or that thing that your mom said to you when you were four <laughs> right. or whatever, yeah. and then you're only, think of it like, like finance and investing. Then you're only yeah. putting 50% of what you could be putting into a stock that's going to that's gonna go up and get better. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, if, if you're worried about all those things that could go wrong, I could get knocked out, I could lose money, I could whatever. Now you aren't focusing on getting better at the thing that's going to help that not happen. Yep. Not doing your chest puzzles, not going for the run, not getting your heavy bag reps or whatever. Yeah. So as much as you can, using your breath to be like, oh, I'm breathing, I'm here. Whatever I was thinking about, it doesn't matter. I can think about these things and go through hypotheticals. Like I'm a chess player. Think about moves and responses constantly. Yeah. Both in the game and in my life. Yeah. And that's good to a degree, but all things in balance and moderation. And if it's taking out of the present moment and doing what you're put on this planet to do, living out your hero's journey on your quest, if it's taking you away from that, change it. I love it. Man, this is gonna, This is such it's so interesting here that we talk about analogies. This whole your experience thinking about chess and chess boxing and the hero's journey is so great as any author thinking about these pieces, their life, their breathing, all this sort of stuff. You are amazing. So in just a minute here, we're going to basically do our group photo. So you're going to have to think you have an important job here of what you want us to do. And I think there's, I have some ideas here, but you get to decide on that one. I have one last question for you and then we'll do our group photo here, but this has been awesome, by the way. I'm super stoked to be able to share this with this entire community. I want to talk a little bit about how this idea, you really have this interesting thing about how when you're celebrating other people through nonprofits and through the idea of partnering with other people to elevate that helps. How do you see it? I know one of the things that I, you've, you and I talked about is how to give people some opportunities for them to celebrate their nonprofits, celebrate Brawl for a Cause and stuff like that. So I'd love for you to maybe tell people how to think about elevating themselves by elevating others. Like how does that sort of play out? And maybe what are some opportunities that you find that people could take advantage of in this? Case? All right. Full disclosure. I forgot about this interview. So I was at lunch and I got that 10 minute calendar reminder that like your interview starting in 10 minutes. Awesome. And thank God I chose a place for lunch with, a, with an old friend that was close by. I was like, <laughs> dude, I got to go. And we're in the middle of this conversation. Like this exact, the, the question that you just asked, we were in the middle of that conversation when I was like, I got to run. And, and so what we were talking about is, is it narcissistic or self-centered? to take care of yourself before taking care of others? It's a great question. It's one that I've really had to look myself in the mirror and ask myself because it's a hard truth to face because when I'm really honest with myself, I take care of myself first before I take care of anyone else. I run a nonprofit for a living. I make serving others through coaching, through philanthropy, my, my life's purpose and passion. But when I'm really honest with myself, I'll take care of myself before I take care of someone else nine times out of 10. And the reason why is... It stems back from mindfulness. If I am not pouring from a full cup, then I'm not doing myself a service because I'm pouring from a place of lacking. And I'm not doing anyone else a service because they aren't getting the best me. Interesting. Yeah. They aren't getting the type of energy and positivity and support that they could be getting if I was taking better care of myself. So this isn't, I want I want a private plane full of champagne bottles and like... You deserve like, one. <laughs> I take care of myself that way. This is making sure that I get movement in, making yeah. sure that I eat, eat, making right. sure that I get enough sleep, making sure that I have healthy relationships in my life and people in my corner that are there to support me when I fall down. And by, by investing in those things, by making them non-negotiables, by making a workout more important than a business meeting. Mm-hmm. 
because I know myself and I know that's medicine. I know that's what keeps me full. And that's what will make me show up to that postponed business meeting even better. It's prioritization. Hmm. So I will prioritize myself nine times out of 10. There will be the exception for someone that I love that I just need to suck it up and do it. But nine times out of 10, I I will give to myself. We showed up for us so that we're the one. So we'll take that one. (laughs) No, I love doing this. I love doing this. I didn't have it on my calendar. And so again, Google owns YouTube and served me chess boxing and Google (laughs) my inbox was like, hey dude, you're about to miss something in the car. So yeah, it it worked out. But yeah, so there isn't really an answer. Like I think it could be self-centered and that has a a bad stigma in our society of of judgment of, oh, you're self-centered, you're a bad person. I think... I think self-centered with the intention of being able to show up fully and vibrantly to life and then the positive ripple effect that can have on others is the opposite of selfish. Yeah. I think being self-centered can be selfless. And and I think it all comes back to intention. Like the yeah. reason why you're doing something. Are you doing it because you want to hoard resources? Mm-hmm. Are you doing it because you want to be better than someone else? Or are you doing it because you want to live life fully? And whatever that means to you, whatever your vocation is, whatever your purpose is, whatever mm-hmm. your personal destiny is. Man, I love you. I feel like coming out of this thing, I'm like fired up, my friend. You are, you dropped some amazing wisdom here. So why don't we bring everyone on here and let's do our group photo. Cause I think you, so you have an important job here, Matt. You have to tell us what you want us to do for our, our action here. You could, whatever you want to see. We've had, we had a, a couple of weeks ago, we had a hostage negotiator on who had us do a phone call. Last <laughs> night we had Ariana Huffington come on and she had us blow kisses. So it's up to you. Yeah, whatever you want to do. You're the boss here. So you tell us what you want us to do. And I'll take some snaps and photos of us of whatever you want us to do to memorialize this. I had to follow Ariana. You did. You got to follow Ariana. So I know it's a, but listen, you did. I have to tell you, like you did a pretty damn killer job. I would say I'm going to put you on par with the knowledge you dropped. You, you brought it, my friend. So I'm coming away from this as fired up as last night. So don't worry. Thanks, man. Yeah. So we're going to do the brawl for a call salute. So what you do is you take your right hand, you make a fist put it right over your heart. We fight for what we believe in. We protect our heart and uh, yeah, do your thing. Let me do a few photos here. All right. Everyone get your brawl for a cause heart up here. We'll get some with Matt here. Get some smiles here. This is awesome. This is awesome. So Matt, any kind of last words of wisdom for the crew here? We're going to do something fun here. The folks in the crew are going to be able to send you some of their books at the end to show you what you help inspired along the way. So you'll have some new stuff for those bookshelves behind you, hopefully, but any kind of like words of wisdom for the crew here as they're going out and writing and creating and putting stuff out good in the world as, as you've inspired us to so do here. Yeah. Writing is hard work. And it's technically hard work, just putting words together, trying to alchemize your thoughts on, onto the page. But it's also emotionally hard work. Yeah. And you're going to encounter ego a lot. You're going you're gonna to say, is this good enough? Are people going to want to read this? Things like approval and, and acceptance are going to come up. And I, I, think, I, I think what that last part of the talk was about and being as present as possible in the work and not worrying about what people are going to think of it, not worrying about where it came from or what it's going to do and really focusing on the present is the best possible thing you could be doing. Yeah. We need to get your book written by the way, too. I know you've been talking about it for years now. Like, I I don't know. I'm just, I'm saying we're going to do it. uh, We've talked about it. It's going to happen at some point, but like hearing you talk, you got to get this story out in the world. We, this reminded me, and I'll just, I'm going to share, we, we had exactly right. Like you did. I think we definitely, we had earlier this week on, we also had the founder of pencils to promise Adam Brown. He sent me his book. And I would say your story is as powerful to others and to, I was moved by it. So just as everyone else here, give the thumbs up. We need to get Matt to write this story out and get it out there because it's powerful <laughs> stuff. And I think a lot of people would certainly be influenced by that story. So 
I'm not going to give up. We're going to make this book happen, Matt. Don't you worry. I appreciate y'all. And I am working on a book. We can hold each other accountable. Good. It's fiction, but it's it's important to me. Good. And uh, honestly, Eric, I don't know. I don't know your structure. I don't want to step on any toes, no, 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 but no, I, I see a bunch of questions in the chat. Yeah. I'm happy to stick around. Might as well stick around and hang out with us. I'm here. <laughs> so does anyone I'm have any questions in. they want to ask Matt here? Go ahead and like jump off mute and ask away. We're so gracious to have his time. And again, super awesome time. Anyone want to ask a question? Hey, Matt, can you hear me? What's up, Nate? I saw your direct hey. message. <laughs> hey, how you doing, man? Yeah, I just was really intrigued by what you said about kind of stoicism. I'm a big fan of Marcus Aurelius. And I'm so I'm a professional rock and roll musician. And I also bring mindfulness and spirituality into it and the two conflicting worlds. So I was curious if you could just maybe speak from your own experience for a second about how you like personally integrate your own philosophy. I, obviously, you've got the com- combative aspect of boxing and then the mental aspect, but obviously mind and body are one. There's really no separation. So I was just curious if you had any like words of advice because I'm struggling with tying in the duality of the different things I'm involved in. It's a great question. So it's a question, how can we bring mindfulness, stoicism, philosophy, life philosophy into our vocation, even when that's hard in, in a rock and roll type of yeah, environment? Because we all have our own ways. I'm curious how you, because I can tell that like you're someone interested in philosophy and it seems like you have some Eastern influence in your philosophy. So I was just <laughs> curious for you personally, how do you prepare yourself when you're going into one of these matches and things like that? What are you where do you find yourself in terms of the middle way? You don't want to go too far onto one end. I like how you said that. Middle way or balance. Yeah, it's like not going too far over correcting. So in, in preparation for anything, breath and mindfulness is a core component. Visualization is super important. Visualizing kind of in this, the equal opposite of that, like worst case scenario, stoicism, writing down everything that could go wrong. Equally as important, if not more important is visualizing exactly how you'd like it to go. Not not tying yourself to the expectation of it going that way, but just going through the mental rep of... In, in, okay, so in in the elite armed forces, in the Air Force, they do, they do dry runs the night before they have a mission. They will sit in a cockpit chair for the same amount of time that the mission will be and go through every single button they press, turn they do, wingman that they check. And these dry runs are what they say is the difference between elite flyers and and just kind of people. And, and so I think visualizing that perfect guitar solo or, or really trying to get in touch with the emotional feeling of being proud of yourself after a performance and how that feels to you, not how the crowd responds, not how, but what it means to you, what success means to you, what, what achievement is, is super important. And a a way to do that is, is through journaling. We're all writers here. Yeah. And, And if you aren't, if you aren't putting pen to paper, I think you should be, at least in some in some way. If it's in the moment and you need to diffuse something and get something out, it's a great purge. If you need to track something over time, whether it's yeah. like fitness and weight loss and diet and that kind of thing, or if it's while you're writing this book, the ups and downs that you're going through. Hopefully, this isn't the only book you write. Hopefully, right. you have a lot to share with everyone for yeah. the rest of your life. And the biggest, I'm going through a breakup right now. So what I'm able to do is I can look back at my last series breakup five years ago and mm-hmm. see how I responded to that. Mm-hmm. See the ways that I overcorrected and got into negative cycles of drinking or smoking or going out or rebounding. And, and I can look at how I brought myself out of that. Oh, here's how I get this Matt Thomas character out of depression. Yeah. I set an alarm. I wake up early. I make myself a meal. I move. I listen to upbeat music and I set up meetings with friends. 
with people that I like to talk to. Boom. Yeah. Easy recipe. And if you can set up the same recipes for your life with books, hey, here's how I get the most out of myself. If I write right after I work out or if I block off time in my calendar or all the things that Eric could fill your head with and help you out with. <laughs> Listen to your bad. mentors. Yeah, I actually do journal every morning. I've been doing it for almost three years now. And Incredible. you're so right. It's, it's so helpful because I feel like it takes this one-part process of our thoughts and it turns it into a four-part process because then there's the thinking, the writing, the reading. And then like you said, the reading later, oh my God, like I found my journal entry for when I was at Machu Picchu the other day and was like, mm. whoa, like the, just cultivate. Thank you for your answer. Like cultivating that feeling of what makes you proud like, it doesn't matter how much you made or, or how many girls smiled at you. It's did you create lasting change for people in their hearts and like inspire them? And yeah, th- thank you so much, man. That was a great answer. It's a great question. Thanks, yeah. man. Yeah, stay in touch. I will. So you have a question? I have a question. My high schooler and basically was expelled from high school in his freshman year. And as a punishment, we sent him to Outward Bound. And as a result of that, came back like completely changed new person had these wonderful experiences and now i work with people getting them to some of those similar experiences but it sounds like you have reached this at a really young age as well and i don't necessarily need to know what happened to you but how did you (laughs) that help like did you read a book how did you come across all of this stuff about stoicism it's all great things that i love but i'm just curious how you came across it yeah, thank you for your question. I, and I'm glad your son or daughter found yeah. something that mm-hmm. that resonated with them. That that wasn't structured education. That was not my mm-hmm. calling either. Uh, and nature is a is an amazing teacher. So I'm glad that happened. I, I it's a big question, but I think I'll share I'll show the first thing that came to mind. So the person that I got lunch with today is one of my oldest friends. I recently helped place him into a new job that he's really excited about. So he wanted to treat me to lunch. And it was great just getting to catch up with him. I don't talk to him nearly as much anymore. Around the time of my last breakup, he was my closest friend and confidant. So he saw me in really rough places, sobbing and missing her and all this kind of stuff. And it's interesting that he recycled into my life now, just two weeks after another serious breakup. And the last time that this happened, I was depressed. I was out of money. I ended up moving home to my parents' basement and I received two gifts. One gift was from a friend who's a yoga teacher. She gave me a yoga mat. And another gift was from this friend that I had lunch with today who gave me a book by Thich Nhat Hanh called Happiness. Good one. Which is right up there. So I still have the same book that he gave me and I reread it. But Thich Nhat Hanh ended up being like my best friend through depression and was a, an amazing teacher in rewiring my brain for gratitude to be a knee-jerk reaction. And, and to give me basic tools like breath to, to be able to recalibrate myself when I feel like I, I go strong. And so that, that happened about five or six years ago. And since then, I, I kept practicing yoga. I became a certified yoga teacher. I spent three months living in Thailand. And a, about a little less than a month of that was spent in a monastery. So about a week of that was a silent meditation practice for Vipassana. And Vipassana is, I guess it circles back to Nate's question, but Vipassana is my preferred meditation practice and, and something that can go of a lot of those distracting thoughts from the past or the future. And, and I also, I, the last part and what I would recommend to your, your children or anyone on this call is I got way outside of my comfort zone. I, I spent a lot of time alone and I put myself in uncomfortable situations just to see what happened. Mm-hmm. I was okay with failure. 
I was okay with falling short. I swallowed the pill of, okay, people are going to judge me. That's fine. It doesn't, it doesn't have to impose on how I feel about myself. And I think once mm-hmm. I gave myself the permission to put myself out there and try things, I, I learned a lot about myself. And that kind of self-knowledge breeds self-confidence. And that kind of self-confidence shines on others and makes them more self-confident. Mm-hmm. 